Lord, we are so thankful for your gracious invitation for us to come to you. Lord, we are full of weakness, full of sin, full of unworthiness. But you are full of grace, full of truth. You are worthy. We worship and adore your name this morning, Christ, and rejoice in the fact that you have come to us so that we might be able to come to the Father. We pray, Lord, this morning that you would work in our hearts to purge our souls from sinful corruptions, that you would cleanse us from our love of self, our love of worldly things. We pray that you would put in its place a greater love for you and for your word and for your gospel. Fill us with a love and a longing for better things. We pray that you would give us great joy this morning in the good news of the gospel, the fact that Christ was born for us. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Please open your Bibles up to the early chapters in Luke, as we'll be looking at a number of passages at the beginning of Luke's gospel and and some other places as well this morning. We hear a lot this time of year about the Christmas spirit, don't we? The Christmas spirit, what does that mean? To most people, it means good cheer. Christmas spirit means some sort of seasonal greeting, hot chocolate, right? Generosity and appreciation for family, and those are all good things. But this morning, as we've been meditating on the gospel this month, we've gathered to consider something better, not the spirit of Christmas, but the spirit of Christ. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, we've sort of drawn this little phrase as really a theme for the entire month of December. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the angel tells the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy has been really the focus of our our meditations together on Sunday mornings in December. And these reflections have really started to take a Trinitarian shape. The first week together, we started by considering God. He is the giver. He is the source of this great joy, the source of this good news. It comes from him. Last week, we reflected on Christ. He is the gift. He is the subject of this great joy. Christ The Savior is born for you, as we just sang. And this week, I'd like to turn our attention to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is perhaps the most misunderstood member of the Trinity. There's a lot of confusion about who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does and how we are to experience those things. But make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is God, and he is no less personal and no less powerful than the Father or the Son. And the Holy Spirit is also no less essential to the Christmas story and therefore to our joy. Have you ever thought about the fact that apart from the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, there is no Christmas. There is no salvation. There is no good news of great joy. So what part does the Spirit play in this good news of great joy that is for us? Well, I'd like to observe together this morning four ways in which the Holy Spirit works for our joy. And the first is this. Number one, the Holy Spirit prepares the way for Christ. The Holy Spirit prepares the way for Christ. And in doing so, he is working for our joy. Many of you have been preparing for Christmas You've marked the calendar, you've perhaps bought some gifts, or maybe you're going to. 
um, on Thursday or Friday or Saturday night at about 11.15 p.m. You'll be hitting the Walmart checkout lines. You've been setting up decorations. You've been maybe doing some meal prep, figuring out where the relatives are going to sleep, washing the linens, all of those things. Because if there's no preparation, if you don't get ready for the day, then that day might easily come and go like any other day. And usually the preparations for a special event like that, they're spearheaded by the one who cares the most, the one who values that event, the one who has a lot at stake in the Christmas celebrations, right? It's the one who wants it to be special in your family, who's the first one to say, let's drag out the Christmas decorations, let's fire up the Christmas music, right? It's the person who loves it, who wants it to be special, who then wants everyone else to enjoy it as well and wants them to savor the unique aspects of the holiday, So we prepare for things that are important to us so that others might enjoy them as well. In a similar way, the Holy Spirit has a role. The Holy Spirit has a mission, a purpose, and that is to glorify Christ. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is even called the shy member of the Trinity because he's always in the background pointing away from himself and putting the spotlight on Jesus to glorify Jesus. And one of the ways he glorifies Jesus and puts the spotlight on Christ is by preparing the way. We see him doing this in the inspiration of scripture. Second Peter 1.21 says that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Inspiration of scripture is the Spirit's work, and it is through this ministry, the Holy Spirit's ministry of inspiring the authors of scripture, It's through his work that the prophets are enabled to speak of a future day of salvation. It's because of the Holy Spirit that God's people in ages past knew that they were waiting for the seed of the woman who would come to crush the head of the serpent. It's because of the Holy Spirit that they knew that the son of David would reign forever. It's because of the Holy Spirit that they knew that the Lord's servant would suffer to save sinners. It's because of the Holy Spirit they knew that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. It's because of the Holy Spirit that they knew the Messiah would come to Bethlehem. All of this lays the groundwork. It creates anticipation. It creates expectation. Really, it creates hope. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, creating a hope through the inspired word that would sustain God's people as they waited for their Messiah because sin was reigning, death was ravaging each and every successive generation since Adam. But the spirit gave them hope, gave them joy through the word of God, pointing to a future day in which God's salvation would come, preparing the way for the Messiah And these spirit-inspired scriptures continue to create hope today, don't they? That's why we're here. These spirit-inspired scriptures continue to strengthen our faith and to point us to Christ. And we look back on the faithfulness of God and all of these prophecies, and we see how not one word has failed. Every word of God, as the proverb says, proves true. These scriptures are kindling for faith. And they shine the spotlight on Christ and invite us, beckon us to believe in the promises of God that are fulfilled uniquely through his son. Not only was the Holy Spirit active in the inspiration and the authorship of scriptures, preparing for Messiah throughout the ages, but we also see the Holy Spirit working in a flurry of activity surrounding the birth of Jesus. 
We see this in the coming of John the Baptist. If you flip over to Luke chapter 1, verse 13, the angel comes to a man named Zechariah, an old man who had an old wife. They had no children. He's a priest in the temple. He sees a vision of this angel, and the angel says, in verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This miracle child of Zechariah and Elizabeth's old age, it brought them great joy, not just because they finally had a son, but because of what God was doing through that son. He would be great. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something supernatural. There's something unique that is going on with John. He was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah, preparing people to receive their Savior as he would go and preach repentance and as he would prophesy of another who was coming that was even greater than him, someone whose sandal straps he wasn't even worthy to untie. We see the Holy Spirit at work through John the Baptist. Zechariah himself would be filled with the Spirit and burst out in song, celebrating this great salvation. In verse 67 of Luke chapter 1, it says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The Spirit is at work preparing the way, sending John, filling Zechariah. He is bringing everything together perfectly for the arrival of Christ. We also see this in Luke chapter 2 with another old man, a man named Simeon. There's a lot of old men in the early chapters of Luke. I think God likes old men, which is good news for a lot of you guys here today, right? <laughs> but we see this man named Simeon. And he's in the temple, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Three times here in this passage, Luke mentions the working of the Holy Spirit in Simeon, empowering him, revealing truth to him, leading him, speaking through him. The Spirit was preparing the way. The Holy Spirit is drawing the attention to Jesus, highlighting for anyone and everyone who would listen that God was keeping his promises and bringing salvation in his son. If the way is not prepared, if the spotlight does not shine on Jesus, then no one sees, no one knows. No one is ready 
and prepared. It would be like a Christmas dinner, but no one got the invitation. But the ministry of the Spirit is to exalt the Son, to shine the spotlight on Christ and not on himself. And in this way, he works not only for the glory of Christ, but also for our joy by highlighting Christ. There's a second way the Holy Spirit works for our joy. Number two, the Holy Spirit performs the miracle of the virgin birth. The Holy Spirit performs the miracle of the virgin birth, and in this way, he is working for our joy. You see, the Spirit not only prepares the way for Christ, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ actually comes into the world. Just like Isaiah promised, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. He would have a human mother, Mary, but no earthly father. This was announced to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, if you want to flip and look there. Luke 1, 31, the angel speaks to Mary. He says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The virgin birth is a divine miracle that is only explained by the work of the Spirit. As the angel would say in verse 37 of Luke 2, nothing is impossible with God. And this incredible news was also announced to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel also speaks to Joseph. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He thought she had been unfaithful to him. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew comments, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, literally. But how did God come to be with us? How is it that God would dwell among men? Through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. Think about it this way. In the triune work of grace, the Father sends the Son into the world. But the Spirit is the one who brings the Son into the world. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that the Messiah is born sinless, free from that sinful nature that we have all inherited through Adam. Jesus was born fully God and also fully man. He is the seed of the woman, but he is also the son of God. Two natures United, as the creeds say, in one person, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. 
This incredible mystery of the incarnation is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's his miracle. It's the result of the Father's wisdom. It's the expression of the Son's humility. But it also demonstrates the power of the Spirit. He is the one who brings the Son into the world. And this is good news of great joy, that unto us a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord, who is God in the flesh, who is Emmanuel, God with us. And the Holy Spirit's working in Christ, it didn't stop at the virgin birth. The Holy Spirit didn't just hand the baton off at that point and stop working. He was actually just getting started. There's a third way in which the Holy Spirit works for our joy. Number three, the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus in his redemptive work. He empowers Jesus Christ, the Son, in his redemptive work. At the baptism of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, he is anointed with the Holy Spirit. We see in chapter 3, verse 22, that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. This is why we call Jesus the Christ. I know when I was a little kid, I thought Christ was maybe Jesus' last name, like Summers is my last name. But Christ is not the last name for Jesus. It's a title. And it's a title that means anointed. He has been anointed with the Holy Spirit, anointed for service. The way that they would take a cup of oil and pour it on a future prophet or a future king. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon Jesus the perfect prophet, priest, and king. He was clothed with the spirit, clothed with power for his ministry as the Messiah. Immediately after this baptism in Luke chapter four, verse one, you can turn the page and see again that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. After his baptism, the Holy Spirit is with him, operating through him. He is full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he's tempted by Satan. And, and although he is weak from 40 days of fasting, Jesus stands firm. Jesus triumphs over temptation. He holds fast to the word of God, and he relies on the power of the Spirit of God. Because at the end of this temptation, we see in verse 14 of Luke chapter 4, that Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. As his public ministry begins, it's the power of the Spirit that is still at work in Jesus. Jesus spells it out when he preaches in the synagogue at Nazareth, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. What does Jesus say about himself? He says this, taking up the words of Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus says about himself. And just in case we aren't picking up on it, Luke himself, our narrator in this gospel, tells us in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. As Luke starts telling us about all the things Jesus is doing, casting out demons, healing the blind, raising the dead, he says it's because the power of the Lord was with him. Now think about this. If Jesus was doing all of his miracles, if Jesus was discharging his messianic duty by virtue of his own inherent power as the son of God, then this statement, all of these statements of the spirit's power and the spirit's working and the power of God being with him, those are all sort of redundant, aren't they? Why does he need the power of God 
described as something distinct from him, to be with him. Why is it important that the spirit is upon him to do these things? It would seem a bit redundant. But if Jesus is humbly experiencing all of life in the fullness of his human nature and relying on the power of the spirit to do everything that he's doing as the Messiah, then all of this makes perfect sense. The Holy Spirit is working in and through Jesus, empowering him for his life and his ministry. Make no mistake, Jesus is fully God. And he has a divine nature at every point of his existence. He did not lay that divine nature aside in the incarnation when he took on flesh. But what he did lay aside was the prerogative to exercise in a direct and in an immediate sense his divine power. Everything Jesus did from his obedience to the law, to his miracles, to his teaching, it was done in the power of the spirit as a man. And this is so encouraging, or it should be so encouraging to us for a number of reasons. For example, it helps us see just how closely Jesus identifies with us as our representative. He experienced everything of humanity, the weakness, the the need, the limitations, He took all of that upon himself. He wasn't some sort of cheat code. The kids know what I mean by that, right? It's not that Jesus just waltzed through life on this earth. Because he's the son of God, everything was easy. No, he experienced everything he experienced as a man. But he was empowered and anointed with the Holy Spirit. Hebrews says he was made to be like us in every way, except that he was without sin. And this means that Christ's obedience, his relying on the Holy Spirit, his keeping of the law, his act of righteousness, one of the ways that Jesus earned obedience for us was by relying on the Spirit. You and I are supposed to rely upon the Holy Spirit, aren't we? We're not supposed to rely on ourselves. That's an area of obedience and righteous living that God calls us to. And none of us have done that perfectly. But Jesus did perfectly rely on the Holy Spirit. And his reliance, his obedience to the Father, his trust in the Father to supply all the strength that he needed through the Spirit, that obedience and faith is part of that righteousness that's credited to us so that we can be counted righteous in Christ. It also means that Jesus' example is actually helpful. Have you ever thought about the fact that we're supposed to follow the example of Jesus, and you go, well, that's great. I can't be like him because he's God. But here's the thing. Everything Jesus did, he did in reliance on the Spirit, and you and I can rely on the Spirit. It actually makes the the example of Jesus something that's instructive and helpful for us. He's not some alien, foreign creature that we have nothing in common with. He is fully man and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was truly essential to Jesus' life and ministry. The Holy Spirit was not watching passively as Jesus went out to win our salvation. He was working in and through Christ every step of the way, empowering him to triumph over the enemy, empowering him to fulfill the law, empowering him to live that perfectly righteous life, and empowering him to go all the way to and all the way through the cross itself. Even at the end of Jesus' life, What do we find him doing? We find him praying in the garden and we find him quoting scripture on the cross. Those two primary means by which the Holy Spirit strengthens us through prayer and through the word. That's how Jesus made it through. 
In this way, the ministry of Jesus, really the Holy Spirit ministering through Jesus, is working for our joy. There's a fourth way the Holy Spirit works for our joy. Not only does he prepare the way, not only is he the explanation of the virgin birth, not only does he empower and strengthen and work through Jesus in his ministry, but finally, the Holy Spirit extends the ministry of Jesus to us today. He extends the ministry of Jesus to us. The one who prepared the way, the one who brought Christ into the world, the one who energized his ministry, he is now bringing the grace and the power of Christ to bear in us. And he does this in a number of ways. He does it, first of all, by applying Christ's work of redemption to us. Salvation at every point is a Trinitarian affair. The Father plans our salvation in eternity past. The Son accomplishes our salvation through his righteous life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. But it's the Holy Spirit who brings it to bear, who applies it to our souls. And he does this by making us to be spiritually alive. This is what we call regeneration. It's the new birth. Titus 3.5 says that he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He saves us, not because of our good works, but according to his own mercy, that mercy that's expressed in Christ. And the means of that experience of salvation is the working of the Holy Spirit. He washes us. He renews us. It's regeneration where the Spirit makes us alive and makes us new. Jesus calls this the new birth. In John chapter 3, he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And this is the work of the Spirit. John 3, 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus says this new birth is something the Holy Spirit does that only the Holy Spirit can do. And it is something that you can't observe it happening, but you see the results because everything is made different. The Spirit is the agent of regeneration. He's the one who performs this saving work in our hearts. And think about how important that is. The work of Christ on the cross is wasted if the Holy Spirit doesn't work in you and in me to open our eyes, to awaken us to our sin and to our guilt, to draw us to Christ, to to let us feel the weight of the cross and what that means. If the Holy Spirit does not impart faith and, and produce in us this deep conviction that leads to repentance, if the Holy Spirit doesn't cause us to become alive, then we are never saved. And the blood of Christ is shed in vain. It's the spirit who applies this work of redemption to us as the author of new life so that we are made alive, so that we are justified, so that we are adopted into the family of God. All of this is the work of the spirit. He applies Christ's work of redemption to us in real time. 
but he also enables sanctification. That's another way that the Holy Spirit is, is extending the grace of Christ and applying it to our lives. He enables sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart. It's to be made holy. And there is a past decisive sense in which we are set apart at the moment of salvation. Paul describes the church in 1 Corinthians 1-2 as those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. This is a, a position that, that we stand in. Those who have been sanctified. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says to these forgiven sinners, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This sanctification, this setting apart is the work of the spirit. And this happens in a positional sense, defining our new identity in Christ at the moment that we are saved. But there's also a progressive sense in which believers are being sanctified. We're made more and more like Jesus Christ, little by little, inch by inch. We're made more and more holy, more and more mature, more and more like Christ, our Savior, as the Spirit conforms us into his image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That transformation, degree by degree, as we behold Christ, that transformation is wrought in us by the Spirit. That's his work. That's what he's doing. He is extending the ministry of Christ to us today. Paul makes it clear in Galatians 3 that just as we begin our spiritual life by the Spirit, so we also continue to grow by the Spirit. We're not perfected by the flesh. It's not that Christ saves us and then we're left to somehow try to grit our teeth and grab our own bootstraps and become more like Jesus by trying harder. No, this is something enabled by the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit in us. And the evidence of this sanctification is more and more fruit of the Spirit, more and more love and joy and peace and patience, gentleness and goodness, self-control. That is evidence that the Spirit is at work in us, causing us to more and more reflect the character of Jesus Christ. And it's by the power of the Spirit that Christ's work of salvation, as he sets us apart, as he makes us more and more like Christ, that work will actually be brought one day to completion. It will culminate in resurrection and glorification. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. He says in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The resurrection that believers are destined for and the, the perfected bodies and the perfected souls, that glorified experience that we're headed for, that too is done through the working of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit extends the ministry of Christ to us. He makes us alive. He makes us progressively more like Jesus. And he brings us all the way home. Although Christ is no longer with us physically, we're not alone. His Spirit now dwells in us. 
and extends the ministry of Christ to us as he energizes and empowers us, as he sanctifies us, as he comforts us, as he helps us, and one day as he even resurrects and glorifies us so that everything that the Father planned, everything that Jesus died for is brought to bear in our lives by his grace, for his glory, and for our joy. As you consider this good news that the Spirit is working for our joy, let me give you a few ways we can and ought to respond to that. And the first, very simply, is that we ought to rejoice in the work of the Spirit. As we think about this theme verse in Luke chapter 2, good news of great joy. This good news is pregnant with all of this meaning, all of this glory of everything that God is doing. And we ought to rejoice especially in what God is doing through his spirit. The same spirit that brought Jesus into the world, the same spirit that empowered him now lives in us. And that's something we should praise God for. That's something we should give thanks for. It's a precious gift. Not only ought we rejoice in the spirit, but this also ought to instruct us to rely on the power of the Spirit. If Jesus depended on the Spirit, we need to as well. And if the Spirit enabled Jesus to be faithful, he can enable us as well. As you struggle against sin, as you wrestle against those remaining remnants of unbelief in your heart, as you experience suffering, as you experience grief, as you experience opposition, we rely on the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He is with us. Trust God to supply the strength that you need through the spirit. Rejoice in the gift of the spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. And then third and finally, we ought to respond to this by submitting ourselves to that ongoing work of the spirit. If he is at work right now, if he is operating right now in us to bring about God's purposes, that is something we can either resist it's something we can ignore, or it's something we can embrace, something we can submit to. I love how Mary responds to what the angel tells her. As she's told that she's going to have a child, and that she's going to be with child because of the Holy Spirit, Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's a beautiful expression of faith and submission to say, God, do whatever you want to do in me and through me by your Holy Spirit. That ought to be our prayer as well. God, do whatever you want to do in me and through me by your Holy Spirit. Is that your heart? Do you have that attitude of openness to God's work in you, to his leading, to his sanctifi sanctifying grace? To submit to the Spirit simply means this. When he convicts you of sin, when he exposes areas of your life that do not reflect Christ, respond by confessing your sin. When he brings the promises of God to mind, either just bringing those to, to your own memory or perhaps bringing them through the faithful words of a friend or through a biblically sound song or through a faithful sermon or your own reading of Scripture, when he brings the truth of God to mind, when he helps you to understand the scriptures, when he illuminates the word of Christ, respond by believing it. Believe it. 
This is how you can submit to the work of the Spirit as he illuminates God's truth to you. When the Holy Spirit presses the commands of Christ onto your conscience, when you feel that compulsion because you know what God's will is, because the Spirit is laying that, that, that compulsion to obey upon your heart, you should obey. That's how we respond and submit to the work of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you through the good news of the gospel and he assures you of the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross, that salvation doesn't depend on you, then you need to rest in that assurance. Receive it with gratitude. As you submit to the Holy Spirit's present work in your life, what's going to happen is you will become more and more like Christ and you will experience more and more joy. Joy in the abundant spiritual life that Christ came to provide for his people. Will you rejoice in the spirit? Will you rely on him? Will you submit yourself to his working? We see that Christmas really does evidence to us all the ways that the Holy Spirit has been working for our joy. May we rejoice in him, rely on him as we seek Christ and submit to his ongoing ministry in us all for the glory of our savior. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we marvel at the incredible truth that the God we worship is one and that the God we worship exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And Father, we are reminded today that your Spirit is not some vague, impersonal force. He is not some mystical substance that we try to scoop up more of to make our lives more dynamic. He's personal. He's powerful. And by your spirit, good news of great joy has come to us. We thank you, Father, for the way your spirit has revealed the truth in the word, the way that he brought our Savior Christ into the world, the way that he empowered our Savior Jesus Christ for his life and ministry and the ways that through your spirit you have extended the grace of salvation to us. I pray that we would be a people, a church, who gladly receives the working of your spirit and that humbly relies on the power of your spirit and obediently submits to his ongoing work in our life. So Lord, this Christmas, as we celebrate the good news of great joy, I pray that you would strengthen our love and our admiration for the spirit. And we pray that you would continue to have your way in us, work in us your will for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.